Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations, where we talk about mental health, adversity, spirituality, and societal issues. I'm your host, Furkan Dan, and join me in this week's enlightening episode of the podcast, where I engage in a profound dialogue with renowned psychotherapist and intuitive healer, Lisa Tahir. Join us as we delve deep into the realm of consciousness and explore its transformative power for healing. Lisa shares her insights on how understanding and harnessing different aspects of consciousness can lead to profound healing experiences. From the subconscious mind to spiritual awareness, our conversation unveils the interconnectedness between mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Lisa is a licensed therapist, host of All Things Therapy podcast, artist, and author of the Chiron Effect, Healing Our Core Wounds Through Astrology, Empathy, and Self-Forgiveness, which was also endorsed by the Dalai Lama. You can find Lisa through all her social media outlets, which can be found in the show notes. And please leave a five-star review or a comment in the comment section at the end of the episode. I would truly and a brief word for our sponsors so i would like to talk about deodorants because i'm tired of constantly replenishing my deodorant and then having to worry about disposing those plastic containers. There's a solution for that. Wild. Wild provides a eco-friendly, all-natural deodorant with a sustainable design. They provide a for-life aluminum case. For me, they sent me a personalized case with my name on it. And did I mention you can customize your orders and have these refills delivered straight to your door. This is an all-natural solution where there's no aluminum in the product, just in the case. Go to wearewild.com and use code EASY at checkout for 25% off your first order. All right, Lisa, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining me tonight. I'm really excited about our conversation and uh, I'm super grateful for the opportunity to have this discussion with you and you reaching out. So that's always nice. And uh, yeah, but before we get into it, I do want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the listeners and let us know a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. You know, it's mutual. It is my honor and pleasure to be here with you and our audience. I am a licensed therapist and I have made my life about helping people to heal their emotional wounds. And I came to that when I was in my early 20s and started therapy on my own. I think I was 21 or 22. And I knew when I met with that licensed clinical social worker that this is what I want to do. And it's it's been exactly what I do. And Thank you for this time. Well, yeah, yeah. And and you mentioned before we started recording, you're based in New Orleans. So the dirty south. Yeah, you right down here, you said. Yes. Yeah, I was there actually 10 years ago. So it's been a while. 
but I really enjoyed the vibe there. It's it's a very nice uh, place, especially like the live music. I, I thought that was really cool, especially yes. in the French quarters there. So good memories. Exactly. And I'm, I'm glad you had such a good experience. People here are really open hearted and kind and you almost never meet a stranger. So I'm glad that was your experience. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, coming back to your story, I think for a lot of people, myself included, what resonates is my journey to become a therapist, although it was much later in life compared to you, really started when I started seeking therapy and I realized how myself as a man going through some of the struggles men go through or people in general go through um, in midlife, I guess, quote unquote. And I realized how much stigma there is, especially for men around failure. But I'm curious to know, what was it for you uh, getting that help and and then wanting to give back? Because that's always interesting. For me, it really was about how I didn't know my self-esteem was so low. And I didn't realize that I wasn't valuing myself as much as I could. And for me, that's that's a progression. I feel like it is something we can always look at in our lives, how how we love and prioritize ourselves in relationship to our own schedules and routines, and as well with the people in our lives. And as I've matured and learned more about healing and personal growth and personal development, there are certain types of exchanges that I just don't have in my life anymore. And I have told my younger self, I'm so sorry that I let people say certain things to you that hurt your feelings and felt like you had to stay. My work is really big on on self-forgiveness. And that's the book that I wrote, Healing Our Emotional Wounds and Vulnerability Through Self-Forgiveness. And I think we're way too punitive and hard on ourselves rather than empathetic and even making apologies to our own inner being, our own inner self, when we haven't shown up fully or protected ourselves or been in a relationship, a situation where we feel badly, but think we need to stay and just making amends at all of those levels with ourselves. And I wonder what you think about that, being a therapist as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's crucial and and we lose sight of that. And that's kind of been my healing journey too, is, is giving myself permission to feel things, but then also recognizing that, uh, there's an aspect of forgiveness that needs to start with me. And by giving myself that sense of forgiveness, I've been able to then share it with others and give it to others. And often I find that we end up feeling blocked when it comes to forgiveness, because, and I see that a lot of times, even with the people I work with, um, there, there's a lot of resistance around forgiveness because there's this conception that if I'm forgiving, then I'm condoning what happened or, or what people did. And sometimes there is a lot of trauma, right? And, and I mean, for me personally, um, yeah, I've had some trauma as a child, but when I'm working with people, I hear some other stories and, and it's pretty deep and it's deeply rooted. Mm-hmm. So there is that aspect of forgiveness that people struggle with. And often they internalize that shame 
there's a lot of internalization of shame that comes with uh, some of the the experiences. So that's kind of been my my experience as a therapist, but as an individual as well. Um, in, in my own healing journey, I had to sit with a lot of difficult memories and work through those. Absolutely. And I feel what you're saying. I think it's important for for us to let people listening and watching know that there's a difference between shame and guilt. And I think they get intertwined and really enmeshed on top of each other. Guilt sometimes can be useful if we do something that it's like, hey, I don't feel good about doing that. We are saying to ourselves or to even someone else, look, you know, don't do that again. That hurt my feelings. And it's an action. It's a behavior that we change versus shame Mm -hmm. is where you feel like you're wrong. You are told that you're bad. You are wrong. That something within your personhood is undesirable. And that's where it becomes really toxic and, and painful because no, you're not bad because even if you do something, bad. That's a behavior that you can change. It's not your soul identity. And that was really illuminating for me to differentiate. Maybe there's some things I felt guilty for, but I can quickly release that and change my behavior. So I don't have to keep holding that judgment against myself. Mm -hmm. And where I have felt shame because I've been shamed or demeaned either by someone else in authority or in my own head in a critical way to to truly forgive myself. And that's where low self-esteem comes from, being shamed and meant to feel badly about yourself. And it's like you lose that inner light that makes you want to get up and start your day. And I lived a lot of my life in that place for kind of, of experiencing depression and, and not feeling like I, I was really valuable. And when I started to realize that was a shame-based identity, and start really mm-hmm. deeply forgive those parts of myself and even feel some anger, feel some righteous anger that it wasn't right. It was wrong. Some of the things that were said to me abusively and really right. separate that in my own self and and know clearly that sh- should I encounter a person like that again, I can say, hey, stop and choose not to further that friendship or relationship or conversation and that's been really transformative for me so yeah you you mentioned that we we lose our light but i'm i'm wondering if if we lose it or if it's always there cuz one of the things i've you know come to realize is it's often we end up putting a veil over it right or covering it um and and that light's always there and that's kind of been part of my own spiritual journey is to unveil and and remove all those veils over time and and rediscover that inner light that I forgot about that was always there. And I think that's what happens through our childhood experiences because we come into this world with curiosity and just wild imaginations. And then over time with experiences, we, we cover those things up about ourselves and we, we come this individual and and there's so much pain sometimes and and wounding underneath and i think part of that is the journey of life is to rediscover that childlike state and and in that process also find our light again i love that you're highlighting that nuance for con because i think it's 100 accurate that our light doesn't go out 
it is, as you said, you see these veils covering that light. I've imagined it as a fountain outside with water coming out and like some pebbles might clog it. So the water's still flowing. It's just not flowing fully out until you remove the pebbles and the debris in, in much the same way that you shared that that light, that flow is always moving to us and through us. And it's a matter of connecting with it more consciously. And spirituality is definitely a tool. Meditation is a way that I connect to that to that presence, to that greater sense of being a part of our world. Right. Yeah. Well, so I, I do want to understand, like, you know, again, I'm very curious. So what motivated you or inspired you to to uh, write your book and share that with the world? Because that can also come often with imposter syndrome. Um, but yeah, help help us understand what that journey was like and and what got you to to put it all together and, and share it with the world. Absolutely. And I'm going to speak to someone listening or watching that has a book dream in them as well, that it's okay if you start and stop a hundred times as I did. I have I had all kinds of pages from notebooks, ideas about a book going back at least 15 years. And it wasn't until this book, this material that I felt like I am not letting this go. And it had to do with a day in meditation where I felt like I was asking the universe, hey, what's going on with my clients that are really insightful and successful and really have so much going for them? Why are they still experiencing anxiety and depression? And why am I? After spending about 20 years in and out of therapy, really in a depth process, self-reflective, like what the fuck is going on here? And and almost kind of like a lot of frustration for a kind that I, I was feeling. And as I quieted my mind, I just heard the word Chiron, C-H-I-R-O-N. And it did not mean anything. I ignored it and just kind of left meditation feeling like there's something I'm going to turn over every stone because I really want this answer. And as the weeks went by, I just kept hearing softly the word Chiron. And my reference for Chiron has to do in grad school over 20 years ago, Carl Jung wrote about the wounded healer archetype Chiron. And I was like, okay, yeah, so what? And you know when something keeps coming up, has that ever happened to you for kind of an idea? It just, it comes up in conversation. It, you know, like the universe yeah. wants you to stop and take a look. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because you mentioned Carl Jung because he talks about synchronicity too, right? Uh, so I forgot uh, about that. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder. So, yeah. yeah, so I just decided to Google, let me Google Chiron. And I learned that Chiron in astronomy was discovered in, I think, 1977 by an astronomer, Charles Cowell, with a K. And the symbol of Chiron looks like a K with a circle below it. And it's designated both as a minor planet and a comet, two things, which is very unusual in astronomy. And it has an odd elliptical orbit between the planets of Saturn and Uranus. And Charles Kell named this heavenly body Chiron after the Greek centaur Chiron, who was the founding father of 
pharmacy, botany, the healing arts. When you go to the doctor and see the staff of medicine, the staff with the two snakes intertwined, that is the staff of medicine that Chiron gave Asclepius, whom he tutored on Mount Pelias in mythological Greek tradition. And he was wounded by a poison arrow that made him want to give up his immortality because he couldn't live in that pain. And he really connected with our human frailty of how things that wound us sometimes cause people to want to and actually do take their lives and really humanizing mm -hmm. him from the God that he was and it really representing the struggles that we go through in our lives emotionally and the meaning that we make of those struggles is key. And I also learned, digging deeper, that Chiron is a placement in your astrological birth chart, which I believe we wrote, Furkan. I believe that we wrote this chart as a blueprint before we came in to this earthly incarnation. It's a guide. It's a symbolic language and a map that you have free will to shape and change and, and make this life anything you want. You're not dictated by a birth chart or limited by a birth chart and Chiron's placement in one of the 12 signs, Aries, Taurus, Cancer, Gemini, for example, identifies yeah. one of 12 areas of vulnerability or emotional core wounding that we are dealing with in our lives. And I'm just going to pause to highlight that land yeah. with you. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh... That's very profound. And I mean, a lot of, you know, things that came together for you, I guess, from that just one word just coming to you. Right. And uh, I always find that interesting. I've had similar experiences um, where, as you were asking me earlier, like if I've had those experiences, yeah, and there's been words that have stuck with me and, and they turned out to be very, very meaningful and powerful in my own transformation. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that piece. You're welcome. You're welcome. And, you know, I took almost four years to research and write to connect my book with traditions, both psychological, spiritual, and philosophical. And for me, it, mm -hmm. it it's tied together by taking personal responsibility for our lives, for our happiness, for our healing. And that doesn't mean that the bad things that happened to you were your fault, especially when there's trauma and abuse. In my own life, I've seen that those experiences of trauma and abuse that I lived through as a young person shaped me into being this empathetic healer that I am. And now mm -hmm. I wouldn't change it because I wouldn't have wrote this book if I never had to struggle emotionally around wounds having to do with, with verbal abuse, sexual abuse, and witnessing violence in my home. I never would have even thought to explore this and help others with it as well as myself. So even the most painful things can become truly a message and something that makes you happy about yourself, that I don't have to hide that anymore in the way that I used to and, and feel bad about myself or feel like something's wrong with me. Our, so many people go through things like this that are traumatic and don't feel like they can speak about it. And that causes you to feel depressed and anxious versus sharing your story with trusted loved ones, which I encourage you in my book as I kind of walk you by the hand through some introspective questions mm -hmm. 
about growing up times you both felt loved and also unloved, and then the meaning you made about yourself. And it's a real self-healing guide to help you come to peace with whatever you've experienced that's wounded you. This can really become an asset for you to be strong and powerful and articulate and, and less afraid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's so powerful. And I think that whole notion of responsibility gets lost often and, and we don't talk about it enough. And to me, you know, as you were talking about that responsibility, one of the things that I've shared a few times here, but I keep not only reminding myself, but others as well, is that life happens for yeah. us, not to us. Yeah. And when we realize that it's happening for us, it's easier to take that responsibility and find meaning. And you hear so many stories of people who were able to use their circumstances to create something of, of purpose and meaning and then give back to others. And, and, you know, that's kind of what we've also highlighted here in our own individual journeys. But yeah, I think that responsibility piece is so crucial and we often lose sight of it. Uh, whether we're dealing with something ourselves or, or just people around us as well. Absolutely. And the the other component with self-forgiveness fits in and forgiveness in general, because you alluded to this earlier on in our conversation, it can be a hard one because, as you said, it, it mm -hmm. somehow implies that we're condoning or allowing something that was undesirable, was even wrong. And that's not actually what forgiveness is. I see forgiveness as a progressive thought action. And I write about it is that it's often progressive. I think there's a few occasions where we can just give a blanket forgiveness. Someone's late because there's traffic. Okay. That that's easy. Hopefully we're not going to harbor a resentment towards someone for something like that. If if you are, then there's definitely right. some deeper issues going on of betrayal and, and wounding and such. But there's some things that we can easily forgive. There are other things that that we can't. And that's actually okay. Because when you start with yourself instead of someone else, you really create a container for change. I talk about that, that we're a container for change yeah. emotionally and to really set up ourselves mentally emotionally, spiritually, to look at our life experiences, what we took that to mean about ourselves. Like, did you start to believe you're unworthy, that you're not important, that when a parent didn't come home and they were out, you know, drunk or whatever it is, that you weren't valuable or worthy because you were standing on a stool trying to find some food to eat. And most likely, yeah, you probably were left feeling like you're not important. And carrying that into adulthood right. leads to some really negative relationship experiences. So first to stop and forgive even the situation, forgive that I'm so sorry you went through that, speaking to yourself. It's a real skill when something happens. I'm just so sorry you're going through this. And I'll say that to myself for kind of even now when something happens. Lisa, I'm just so sorry you're going through this. What do you need? And just to pause and listen. And to give yourself some gentleness and empathy. And from that place, there's some more clarity, how to proceed in your outer world with handling people, places, and things when you start with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the biggest piece, I mean, it may seem obvious, maybe not, but I think the, the aspect of forgiveness is really freedom for yourself. And you're letting yourself off the hook. You're, you know, you're not holding yourself back in that imprisonment. Um, and because people, you know, I, I find a lot of the times 
we hang on to things and and the person who may have done something to hurt us may have moved on um and and they're probably not sitting in that guilt or shame as we talked about but it's really us who's care who are carrying that burden yes. and until we don't let go we continue to stay stuck hard to move forward in life if you if you're not in a position or cannot forgive but in addition to that sometimes forgiveness takes time it's a process right you may have to come back a few times to forgive someone for the same thing because you may have newfound memories um so i've had those experiences where i thought i had forgiven some someone or some some situation and and i got triggered again whether it was seeing them or hearing about them and it was another opportunity to sit with it and and let go yeah. at a different level like yeah, those layers, like you mentioned earlier, about even our light, like the layers, the veils, and and we circle back to memories and experiences as we grow and develop. We we can see them from a new vantage point. And I write about change really takes being willing to see things differently from other vantage point mm-hmm. and views, not necessarily someone else's vantage point or views, but from your own higher self perspective like seeing this from alternative ways like you said how if this is working for me if life really is working for me then how does this fit into that because i'm not seeing it right now especially in really tragic circumstances it can take a while to go through those those stages of grief and actually create meaning find meaning so it's okay however long it takes you i think the emotions start to shift within you when you're able to be more gentle with yourself and not prod yourself about how long this is taking or someone else has moved on, you haven't, it's okay. Stay focused on yourself. It's the greatest gift you can give yourself is proceed on your timeline. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, There's another thing you touched on that I found fascinating and the reason why I'll, I'll explain, but you touched on the whole... I think around healing, so I'm going to paraphrase here and maybe you can correct me, but you talked about there's the the psychological component, there's the spiritual component and the philosophical aspect to it. How do you see all three fitting in, uh, especially when it comes to healing? That's such a good question. Let me take a moment because I think about this a lot. (laughs) And even, and I'd love to know what you think too, being in the field. You you talk about mind, body, and spirit. Some people say- um, the emotions, the, you know, the, the mind, the spiritual, like there's so many ways to say it. I tend to think of our emotions is what we're feeling coursing through our body, our, our emotional experience of events. And I think of the mind being more of the brain, like the brain chemistry going on that, that fuel our, our sensory experiences. I think of spirituality as being the component that's kind of bigger than this 3D earth life, like in this fleshy body, kind of the the higher perspective, like as above, so below, what might this be reflecting patterns even? And so I think it's important to come to healing at, in, at all of those levels, you know, as it happens naturally. I think the first step is really about soothing the physical self, the physical body, containing emotions of, you know, when people are going through painful things, 
they can be a mess, you know, myself included. Just really yeah. can say self-soothing. What's going to help your central nervous system come down from hypervigilance and hyper alertness to where you can start to breathe and deactivate that fight, flight, or freeze response when we're in trouble because we can't make good decisions from that place just to calm our bodies and our central nervous systems to come to a place of peace where we can start using our mind to to look for solutions for whatever it is mm -hmm. that we need. And I'm wondering just how you see this mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I see, I definitely see the connection. Like, you know, when you think about philosophically, that's more our mind or brain making sense, putting language to it. Um, whereas the spiritual side is just your soul experiencing it. Right. And, and that's where I think the philosophy ties in where we're able to ex explain it. And psychologically, as you said, often the, the emotions, if we haven't been able to express them in a healthy way, they get trapped in our yeah. body. Right. And a lot of people talk about trauma being trapped in the body, whether it's Bessel van der Kolk yeah. or, or Peter Levine. Um, there, there is that aspect that gets stuck inside of you. And a lot of the times when I'm working with people, myself included, when we're triggered, we have these physical sensations. We have these somatic experiences, whether it's a tightness in your chest or your belly or uh, just pain in your back. Those are all messages from the body that something is happening and we need to pay attention to it. But because we're so, we, we start running on autopilot and coming back to childhood, we, we've never really been able to put much emphasis on it or pay attention to it. We just run, right? And <laughs> just on cruise control. But that's one of the things I, I've, myself again, but even with the clients I work with, it's the simple, simple things such as doing a body scan. And when they do the body scans, they realize they've, they've got all this pain that they've been carrying around and they don't even realize how long it's been there for until they, they bring it to their conscious awareness. So I, I definitely see it the same way. Um, and, and it all ties together, right? It does. And I like asking clients when they are having a physical pain issue that's been, that's been something going on for a while. Like a client last week, there was a pain in her neck. And I kind of blurted out, it's because so-and-so is a pain in your neck. And it just kind of fell out my mouth. Yeah. And she was like, what? And I was like, well, think about it. You know, this person you've been talking about, do you feel like they're a pain? So I kind of, I usually just don't blur things out, but I felt really close to this person and it just kind of fell out. Yeah. And and it was interesting because as she talked about how this person is a pain in, in her neck, the pain started to dissipate. And so sometimes it can be that much of a relief in the moment. Other times it might... It might take longer, certainly get the, you know, doctors involved and, you know, practitioners. I love acupuncture to help and other mm -hmm. methods like that. So certainly get yourself treated, but also ask yourself, what does this pain want me to know? Because it's information. What does this pain, especially when it's chronic or an illness, what is it trying to get me to turn my attention to and focus upon? And Louise Hay, who I'm sure you know, wrote the book. You can heal your life correlating yes. physical ailments with emotional pain. And that's a book I've had yes. and have used for 20 years to check out. And she gives some affirmations and, and things. We're just such a beautifully, perfectly designed system 
that's just amazing genius genius in our bodies yeah no uh, i'm <laughs> that was probably one of the early early on in my healing journey i came across that book someone recommended it to me um and i was just blown away there's so many nuggets in there but one of the things to your point the physical sensations or pain um is funny looking back i had a severe knee injury around that time um and i had to go for surgery but looking back uh, one of the things she mentions is like when we're with knees it's funny if you're going in a direction in your life that's not conducive mm. for you or not appropriate your knee that's what your knee's telling you and i wow. was uh headed in a direction but again looking back i probably you know often you do end up need to, you you need to be able to fail or fall to um recover and learn from it so uh but it's interesting looking back just through that whole experience 100 percent. and i even see something like that for con instead of failure is redirection i i believe that life yeah. loves us so very much despite yeah. the things we see that would look otherwise that there is an energy that is really flowing that intends our well-being and when we start to slow down a little bit every day to listen to feel into that what the guidance is for you specifically that even things that are upsetting and didn't go the way mm -hmm. you hoped that maybe it's not going the way you hoped for now it could circle back absolutely at another time in your life where the timing's better so hope you know hope is a real big fundamental necessary thing to change and and grow and heal i talk about that in my book that hope is a powerful precursor of of healing in your life and to look for hope to find it in nature and a child and whatever causes you to wonder and and feel connected to joy that 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 can help you have some hope when things are really challenging and hard yeah for sure and do you feel like sometimes before you can move like often it happens in stages right so before you can move on to hope you almost need to have some sort of acceptance because that's what i found like accepting what is accepting that we don't have all the answers accepting that there are better things ahead we just don't see it right now and then you know shifting to hope um i'm not sure what your thoughts are on that you know i i love you bringing this up too because accepting what is never really fit well for me i didn't really like that so what has resonated and i think it's the same thing is making peace with where i am making peace with what is because for me it, it really helps to accurately identify that this moment it's a snapshot in time that's moving forward it's not fixed it's not the end of the story it's just a moment of where I am right now, where you are listening, where you are right now, things are moving. And so it helped me feel hope actually to, to see more, this is just where I am right now. Um, and help me feel like there's some more flexibility, some more movement, some more freedom, rather than something being fixed and done and irrevocable. And maybe that's just for me, yeah. who I am, like needing to, needing to know that things can really change and, and are. Yeah, absolutely. And I like to say that, you know, all paths lead to the same place. Mm -hmm. it, I love we that. all, we all end up paying that's right. Like, but we're all going 
to the same place. Yeah. Um, you can look at it in, in whatever way. Uh, I think a lot of the times, at least people that I work with, um, sometimes it's important to even broach the subject of mortality because there's so much discomfort and anxiety around just the idea that this all comes to an end. Um, we, you know, our time's limited here. The world's still going to continue to move on whether we're here or not. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of times people forget about that. They get so stuck in their own narrow-mindedness or just in their world and, and they lose sight of the bigger picture and why we're here, how the things that are happening to us are a small, small, small fraction of whatever's going on in the universe it kind of gives you some, at least it's given me peace just to look at it that way and recognize that I'm just such a small piece in all of this. Um, and, and then, yeah, just, I think just thinking about mortality allows people to have a different perspective and, and then also make different decisions in life. Um, and I notice a lot of people as they're getting close to the end of their careers, they have these, I guess they also have anxiety around the next chapter of their life. And again, it's maybe taking a step back and looking at, okay, well, what, what, what is, what does this all mean anyway? Yes. And I think it's for us to each individually define that and, and hearing you say moments ago about kind of our, our choices and looking at the end of our lives, that transitioning to non-physical where we're not here anymore in the way that you and right. I are sitting and just how how sad and painful that is to even try to wrap our heads around. I think it's an mortality is an invitation to really clarify what's important for you and to you in this life that you're living right now, today. And and to really bring some intentionality into your life, into your day, I think it can help you feel good about yourself. It can help you feel like you're actually living each day in, in ways that are meaningful as, as much as you can going through your routine. And it takes you out of the mundane, I think, into kind of the mystical and and the possibilities to really think, um, you know, my dad's older now in his early 80s and he's in good health. But I think more about him being at this end of life phase than I did 20 years ago. And it certainly caused me to have some more patience and some more allowance with him where I might've been more easily frustrated and short that I don't have to be so short. You know, it actually feels yeah. better to give him some more grace and kindness and just really, cause that's important to me since he's at that stage of his life yeah. and, and really wanting to cherish as much as I can having a real positive, you know, loving exchanges. This is an, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things for me too, is realizing even with my parents kind of getting to that age and thinking about, okay, and they don't live in the same city as me. They live on the other side of the country. So, um, it's often thinking about, well, how many visits do I have left? Right. Right. Like, right. Go see working times a year, but how many years of that do I have left? And it just gives you again, um, a bit, a bit more, of a perspective. And when I am with them, I, I try to be in the present and, and just cherish the, those moments I get with them. But I think that's what the whole contemplation around our own 
mortality brings is you realize that present moment is all you have. Mm-hmm. You know, the past is gone. Tomorrow, we don't know. We may not even wake up, right? So how can you make the most of today? And like you said, uh, live each day with with meaning. And that's what I try to focus on. But I think coming back to, I know we've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but coming back even from the, from a therapeutic perspective, I think once clients or people we work with start thinking about those things, it does make things easier, right? It's easier to not worry about tomorrow and the deadlines and not have that anxiety. Um, But I don't know. It's, it's everyone has their own journey of getting there too, right? You can't really force it on people. Exactly. And I'm reminded of the Ram Das quote having to do with we're all just walking each other home. And I had heard that and yeah. read that. It wasn't until a few years ago that it really deeply touched my life when a dear, dear friend, Emily, so young, 42, passed away unexpectedly. And and it really made sense being at her funeral. It's like I really wa- walked her home the years that we've been friends and all the memories. And just I started to see my life differently, that the people that are my friends, my family were truly walking alongside each other home to that same place that you referenced. And it just made my it was like, boom, like I saw something, a layer I had never seen. Like I felt it in my grieving her not being here on Earth, but knowing and reaching for her where she is and seeing her in a bird and in nature and knowing like that's Emily, like that butterfly, that bumblebee driving me crazy. Like that's Emily. And, and just how we're really walking each other home. And when you have that as like a filter you wear as glasses, it's going to start to change the way you interact with others and yourself. And I promise your life is going to be better and you're going to be so much happier as well. Yeah. And, and I agree. And I think that's one of the biggest things I try to, it, it is hard remind myself even when people do irritate me that essentially we're all one right like the whole concept of unity yeah. for me that's what it means coming from one single soul but uh we lose sight of that in our differences and it's it's an interesting time right now where there's so much polarization and and you know we feel like people are different and we try to identify these differences and we lose sight of the commonality when we do that. Yes. And uh, that's, at least for me, that's very troubling to see. And I hope people can start. Actually, a friend of mine last year taught me something very valuable that, you know, I was irritated with someone and pointed out the, the thing we had in common or the things we had in common. And how could I focus on that rather than the anger I was having towards this person? Mm-hmm. So that's really stuck with me. And. Um, it's, it's gotten to a deeper level of understanding that, yes, we are, we have so much in common and how can we cherish that rather than focusing on the differences? Amen. 100% Furkan. I'm with you. That's been a hard one for me to the polarization and the difference of opinion and beliefs and, and the hatred that, that I've seen and, and heard and felt and just hoping that people can put the sword down and really see how much more we do have in common, even with different beliefs and opinions. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much. Do you feel like there's anything else we want, we should add here that you think would be of value to the listener than that we haven't covered? I know we covered a lot of ground, but uh, 
just want to give you that opportunity. I appreciate you and this space with easy conversations. It's been an easy and deep and profound conversation. And thank you for having me on. And I hope that listeners and viewers find deeper happiness in their lives through through my book and your show and and your work and just that we're really all in this together. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. Uh, always, uh, always an honor when people want to come on the show and talk with me. So uh, I, you know, I consider that uh, it, it is humbling, but um, I do also want to give you a chance to share with the listeners how they can find you if they wanted to look you up online, social media, how can they get a hold of your book? What are some ways they can do that? Sure. The two easiest ways are either to Google Lisa Tahir, T-A-H-I-R, or my website is nolatherapy.com. And it stands for New Orleans, Los Angeles, therapy.com, the two places that I live. So thank you. Awesome. I thought it was Louisiana, but okay. <laughs> I live in New Orleans and Los Angeles, and I divide my time yeah. throughout the year. And you know, it used to be for, sure. I didn't always live in LA and my web designer coined NOLA therapy for New Orleans, Louisiana. And then it was like mind blowing <laughs> when I moved to LA and it's like, oh my gosh, now it's New Orleans, Los Angeles therapy. How the universe, again, our higher selves know where we want to go, like you said, and is moving yeah. us there. We're absolutely going where absolutely. we want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easy to remember too. So that's great. Thank you. Thank you for checking out this episode with Lisa. As always, please leave a review or a comments in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. And please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That's the best and easiest way to support this podcast. Thank you again and until next week.